over to you for the message. Thank you. Hey, so look, last week we talked about moving um, from the feeling of I've had enough to recognising when I have enough, which is a change of mindset. And we're going to continue that a bit today with the story of a bear, a fox and a tiger. Starting with the bear. There's a saying, don't poke the bear. It means if the bear is sleeping and you want to get past it, well, don't wake it up. And if the bear is angry, why would you poke it? But sometimes someone has to. My friend, Mike Gradell, was prone to poking bears on behalf of justice, on behalf of the poor, confronting class and power and privilege, even when he knew there was going to be consequences to it. And he wasn't alone because sometimes Jesus did it too. And in Luke 16, if you've got a Bible handy, Luke 16 is where we're going to be looking. Having told a story or two that had hacked off the powers that had been, had a wee poke, um, there were a bunch of religious guys, the Pharisees, who were the gatekeepers of religion. They decided who was in and out. And uh, in Luke 16, before this little encounter, Jesus says that they were lovers of money and they were sneering at Jesus. So, and Jesus has some harsh words for them. He says, well, now these are my version. The law and the prophets have told you how it was until John, but now the good news is being preached of God's way and everybody wants in. And then he says to them, you've got to remember you can't bend the law to your own uses. And he has a reference to that there's more going on in marriage than divorce consort. Which meant, of course, the people of power, who I'm going to call the angry bear, the gatekeepers, the ones who decided who was in and out, they're sneering and angry, and he decides to poke the bear because he tells them a provoking story. And this is his story. Once upon a time, there was a wealthy man who wore fashion-branded shoes, an Apple watch, and lived comfortably. He was well off, and in his mansion there were rooms for watching movies, and fancy in his fancy kitchen they served oysters because the world was his oyster. He had it all. Around the house was a golf course-sized garden with a tall fence, and next to the automatically opening gates of his um, yard was uh, someone who lowered the tone. There was an unemployed and, to be fair, rather dodgy guy called Lazarus. He slept under a tarpaulin, he stretched, he'd stretched out to the fence, and he'd put up a sign asking for money. Not a great way to live, so he looked that way, he was dirty. Actually, he was often sick and had a variety of sores and couldn't afford to go to the doctor. And Luke tells us, well, Jesus tells us in the story, that the closest to med thing to medical treatment he got was a stray dog who would lick his sores. In his culture... That was actually an established medical treatment, but it also made you ritually unclean. So to be clear, when Jesus tells the story, this guy, Lazarus, is an outsider. If he tried to go to the synagogue or the temple, he'd be turned away. The rich guy, of course, instructed his many visitors to drive past without pausing the beggar because he brings the neighborhood down. And when the rich guy said, it's great here, which he did with his mates, his hair ended at his fence. And that still happens today. Anyone who's worked in Asia has seen it. I've seen it in America. It's not uncommon for someone to say, it's great here and the lines of here end at their fence. That's how it was with the rich man. He'd drawn a line and the bigger was outside the line. 
Well, winter came and you can imagine what happens next. The time comes when Lazarus dies. He was never in great health. There's no funeral. Just one day there's the tarpaulin and the sign up begging and the next day the police are taking the body away. The time comes and the rich man also dies. There's a huge television, uh, televised funeral ceremony, a big palaver, and he's buried in the family plot in insider territory, the one reserved for Abraham's descendants and all as it should be. And in this life, the story ends. Now, the story's going to continue, and there's a bunch of stories like this. There's kind of an accepted pattern to them. It's a little bit like if I was going to tell you the story of Cinderella, you would expect a mean stepmother, a ball, slippers. These are things you expect in the story. Well, people of their day expected Abraham and judgment. They didn't think about heaven and hell in the way that most Westerners do. And this story fits the stories of their time the same way that it would with Cinderella. So I'm telling you this because the scholars I read say you shouldn't use this story to say what life after death is about. Okay? Any more than you use the prodigal son story to learn the best way to raise pigs. We could get Dave back to give us advice on that one. The, it's not the point. Okay? Like the Cinderella story, it has familiar codes of judgment, but it's not necessarily saying that. Anyway, that's an aside. The story continues. Behind the veil of our existence in this story, the beggar is taken by angels to be up at Abraham's side, the ultimate privileged insider position for their culture. The one who was on the outside is now on the inside. And the rich man, when he dies, Luke says, Jesus says, he goes to Hades where he is in torment, the ultimate outsider position. And apparently he looks up and he can see Abraham and Lazarus and calls out to Abraham. After all, he's one of his descendants. And what he says is, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Which is kind of funny. I mean, surely you'd ask Lazarus. He never speaks to Lazarus in this story. He knows his name. I suspect he's completely unaware of how his class and power have shaped him. Anyway, he says to Abraham, can you send this guy to be my servant? And Abraham says, well, you had a lifetime of plenty of good, and Lazarus had plenty of bad. And now he's comforted, and you're in agony. And there's a chasm between us that can't be crossed. And you would think this is where the story would end. But it continues. Remember, this story is told to the gatekeepers and lovers of money. So the now not-so-rich man says, well, what about my family? Send Lazarus to them, warn them. And Abraham replies and says, mate, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen. Again, story being told to the Pharisees who are all about Moses and the prophets. And the not-at-all-rich man says, if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. And Abraham says, well, you'd think. But no, if Moses and the prophets aren't enough, someone rising for the dead won't do it. And that's the end of the story. Now, if you happen to be a Pharisee, you're a bear that's just been poked. That is a barbed story. And that very last bit we know foreshadows the events, foreshadows, not shadows, whatever that is, foreshadows the events of Easter where someone rises from the dead and it's not enough for the gatekeepers. 
This is a bit of an angry story with edges. And Luke is clear it's directed at the rule keepers, the Pharisees who were lovers of money and sneering at Jesus. For them, it's wrapped in barbed wire. Lovers of money are being reminded of real love and that money is not so great and that God cares about the poor. What if you were a beggar listening, someone aware of their poverty? For them, it's a story of God's grace, of God redrawing the lines about who is in and who is out. So why do you reckon Jesus poked the bear? They were already sneering at him. Okay, I've talked about the bear. I'm going to go to the fox and the tiger. I'm going to read you some words that a mate, Mike Riddell, wrote. Giving is a way of letting go. It's also a sign of trust in God. Like any lover, God wants to be trusted. It gives God the fun of thinking up interesting ways of providing what you need. Most of the time, it involves fellow pilgrims and so teaches us that we are related to each other. And now here's the story of the fox and the tiger. A man walking through the forest saw a fox that had lost its legs and wondered how it lived. Then he saw a tiger come with game in its mouth. The tiger had its fill and left the rest for the fox. And the next day, too, God sent the tiger to feed the fox. And the man began to wonder at God's greatness and thought, I, too, shall lie in a corner trusting the Lord to give me all I need. He did this for a month and was almost at death's door when he heard a voice that said, O oh, you who are on the path of error, open your eyes to the truth. Imitate the tiger, not the fox. If you put that story with Jesus as one, well, the fox would be Lazarus, and the rich man refuses to be the tiger by not giving of his more than enough. God gives. Giving keeps you in harmony with God. The air you breathe, the water that falls from the sky, it's a gift. And we constantly have a choice between grasping it with fists to hold on to what we have or opening our hands so that we can receive and give. The story told to the Pharisees is one of someone who could have so easily given and chose not to. And here we are a couple of weeks away from Easter where Jesus gives it all. Was it a, what does it mean for us? Well, it's clear that Jesus cares for the have-nots in the bottom of the pile because that's all of us. It's clear that justice and mercy for the poor and withholding that presses Jesus' buttons. For us at Parklands, we have a track record of trying to care for our community. Quick plug here for the course, when helping hurts, that might help us get better at that. I was going to give some advice about how that giving might look. I'm not necessarily talking about giving to church here. 
But I was reading Paul, and instead, what I'd like to do is invite us to pray. I'd like you to close your eyes, and I'd like you just to listen to these words from Romans 12. And I'm not going to rush through them, but I'd like you, as I read them through, I want you to hear them and think, does that relate to me? Listen for a spark. Romans 12, verse 9 onwards, the message version. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Shed tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everyone. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that when you see your enemy hungry, go and buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. And Paul did not write, be the tiger. But Jesus lived it. Amen. If you have been grabbed by a thought in that mix, um, hold on to it. Make a note to go, I'm going to think about that. While you do, we're going to pass over to uh, sing another song and then um, close off our service with a benediction. Thanks for listening. Look forward to seeing you. Well, I can't say that yet, can I? Um, Certainly two weeks, come along, but next week as well here.
Even when I don't see where you are, God With all the questions weighing on my heart Still I don't know where I'd be without your love There's no one else for me You are my God When I'm alone, you're standing beside me When I'm afraid, you're dancing around me You are my Father, you're my friend You are my soul There's no one else for me you are my God. I love you, Lord, sings my soul. I love you, Lord, sings my soul. He gave me life, and I gladly give it all. I love you.
Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. And thank you, Colin, for your message. It's interesting, isn't it, that I think our natural response is to think of our lack, to think of what we don't have, to look at others and, and envy them or aspire to what they've got. 